Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome to the Games Rig. This is Under Consultation, an episode by episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Cohen, a fan of the Steamflow dial. And I'm your other host on this journey, Ash Versus, and I am all about that vacuum dial. Oh, man. Well, it, it's hard to pick between them, really. I just get sucked in. <laughs> <laughs> it's both a pun and a diamondism. I'm done. Good night. That's it. <laughs> I mean, pulling back the curtain, we're doing a double record tonight. We're recording episodes 19 and 20. We're not topping that. You've, we've peaked too soon. Story of my life. <laughs> this episode aired on the 4th of February 1993. Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You is still top of the charts. No. <laughs> for another two weeks. But we do have a new film at the top of the UK box office. Oh my god, dude. It's Bram Stoker's Dracula. Here occurred the frightening and shocking history of Prince Dracula and the woman he loved. I have crossed oceans of time to find you. Yeah. Dracul. There's a sinister, darker side to him. I find irresistible. I have never met any man with such a passion for life. He is unlike any man. What are you? Vampires do exist. This one we fight, this one we face. Can take on many forms. He is both young and old. He can appear as mist, as vapor, as the fog. And he can vanish at will. Oh, my love. It's nice to have another horror film at the top of the charts, for me particularly, because, you know, I do like my horror films, Luke. Mm-hmm, as do I. And it is a film that I think I appreciate more now than I did 
then. Yeah. Let's get the elephant in the room out of the way. Keanu Reeves should not be in this movie. I've seen many strange things already. Bloody wolves chasing me through some blue inferno. I know where the bastard sleeps. I brought him there to Carfax Abbey. I know where the bastard sleeps, dude. By casting him in this movie, they were literally throwing him to the wolves because oh, you've yeah. got Tony Hopkins, Gary Oldman. It is a lamb to the slaughter. It's putting a chicken in with the foxes. He does not stand a chance. If he was acting with his normal accent, it'd be touch and go. But they're asking him to do an English accent with Gary Oldman and Tony Hopkins. <laughs> yeah. Poor old Keanu. I'm really glad now, actually, that in 2020 and actually in 2019, people are starting to realise that Keanu Reeves is good. I'm really glad. Like, it took the John Wick movies, but I'm really glad people are starting to reevaluate Keanu. I think people started to reevaluate him with The Matrix and the Wick movies have definitely verified it. And of course, looking back, and we say this on the cusp of the third movie, the Bill and Ted movies are revered. Mm -hmm. They are thought yeah. of with high esteem. But this movie, it came about as a result of a meeting between Winona Ryder and Coppola because they had a falling out when Ryder left the set of Godfather 3 and she was worried that he hated him. And she was probably worried because she was thinking, that's my career done. Mm. But they settled any differences. They were all chill. And she brought this script with her. She didn't think there'd be much to it. She didn't think he'd show any real interest. But apparently his favourite campfire horror story was Dracula. And his eyes went pinball machine lighting up. You've won the bonus. Ironic, because I tell you what, this movie had a great pinball table come out of it. Oh, yes, it did. And he was all on board. Now, he was not just a fan of Dracula. He was a massive fan of the older Dracula movies. And this led to an interesting production choice. He didn't want any of your burgeoning CGI. He didn't want any of your motion control, chroma key, green screen. He wanted to use the same techniques that would have been used with the movies that he grew up in. Yeah. And the first visual effects team that he employed said, we can't do it. So he fired them. <laughs> and you know what? When you can't get outsiders to do the job properly, you go to your family. His son Roman came on board and went, yeah, all right. And to be fair, is he going to say no to his dad? No, probably, probably not. not. But that's why everything is done with rear screen projection, forced perspective, miniatures in forced perspective as well. And it's all the effects where possible are done optically in the camera. Yeah, like that train shot going across the diary is genuinely quite great. I was not aware of that fact until more recently. Like, yeah. not for this podcast, but certainly the past couple of years. So I'm, in the, I'm in the same boat as well. It's made me appreciate the movie that little bit more. And I think if you did that today, it would be heralded as, oh, yeah. as a legacy of filmmaking and a tribute to the masters of the past. Whereas at the time, it was one of a number of factors that caused people to go, this is a bitch. Yeah, it's it's funny, isn't it? Because like I, my relationship with with Bram Stoker's Dracula is that I, when I watched it as a teenager and then in my twenties, it was very much as like a ha ha, look how silly this film is. Look at Keanu Reeves' terrible accent. Look at the massive wig that's that sitting atop uh, Gary Oldman. 
isn't this all a little bit funny and silly? But it was a friend of mine called Rowan I used to do the Flickering Myth movie podcast with who kind of turned me around on it because he said that he loved it. And I was like, oh, come on, mate. No one likes that movie. And he was like, no, no, no. And we talked about it, talked about a lot of the things you were just talking about then. And I rewatched it with sort of like a new perspective. I was like, you know what? I've completely misjudged this movie my entire life. I do wonder if some of the more vocal critics of the film at the time maybe have changed their perspective. Now, uh, Ebert was actually fairly okay on it. Tom Hibbert of Empire gave it two out of five stars and said, has a film ever promised so much yet delivered so little? All we're left with is an overly long, bloated adaptation instead of what might have been a gothic masterpiece. Crikey. Kenneth Turan of the Los Angeles Times was kind of similar in his criticisms. He called the film not particularly scary, not very sexy, and dramatically over the top. And I think the dramatically over the top thing is actually playing into that retro yeah. feel. No one would look at a Hammer film and go, well, that was understated. Yeah. <laughs> no one would look at a Universal movie and go, well, that was toned down. That wasn't what telling this story was about. No. But we've got this movie for two weeks, and while we touched a little on the production, we should also touch more on the cast, and that, I think, is a next week discussion. Well, I was going to say, not only that, but next week I also want to discuss the tie-in games, because this film produced some shit tie-in games for all the joy that the pinball brought the games brought it right back down (laughs) um we've got one big release this week and actually ties into our film that i wanted to make reference to in this week of 1993 in japan castlevania was released in its cartridge form on the famicon because castlevania was a disc system game initially and it didn't get a cart release for the nes until 1993 so late in the console's lifespan which is why if you try and pick up a copy of it now it's so expensive i confess i love the castlevania games i own both collections for the playstation i've played them on numerous platforms from the game boy on up I either didn't know or I'd forgotten that. Yeah, it's it's why the game's so hard. It's because it's got save like the 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 disc system version of it's got save points. Each level saves where you are, which is why they they made the game nails. So you could progress through the level and it just you start at that level that you died on. Whereas in America, they kind of toned down the difficulty of it somewhat, but was just you didn't get the save states. I mean, no one would look at any Castlevania game and go, "Well, that's simple." You know, that's not that's not what they're about. Well, we've got anything happening up in the magazines this week. We do, but I'm not going to talk about it here because Ooh, okay. what I want to talk about in the magazines directly dials into our last challenge. So rather than split it, I'm going to bring it all together for hopefully an enjoyable climax. <laughs> Just because we're not going to peak the opening doesn't mean I'm not going to try. <laughs> Right, welcome to Games Master's Offshore Holiday Resort, where campers need only pack a joystick, a smile, and a change of underwear to enjoy a full week of premarital bliss. We've got three decidedly better than average challenges tonight, so let's go over to Games Master for the first one. Well, let's dive into the show itself, and if you are listening to this and you thought, bloody hell, that intro sounds very familiar, that's because it is very familiar. It's the exact same opening as episode eight. I did have a real sense of deja vu and therefore just immediately went back through every episode in season two so far, starting with episode one going fast forward, no, fast forward, no, fast forward, no. 
Aha! I might have had a slightly quicker way of doing it. I just went, because all my notes are on Google Drive, I just searched in Google Drive for premarital bliss. And boom, there was one document that had, it was season two, episode eight, that had that exact term in it. You know what? All my notes are on Google Drive. <laughs> do you know what I didn't think to do? <laughs> Search a <fucking> keyword. <laughs> well, you know what? Yours may have been quicker, but mine was verifiable. So <laughs> I'll take that and cling on to it. I thought I'd play a fun game with you as well, because I don't know how much you dived into the episode, but do you, remember what, do you remember what challenges were on that episode? No. No. <laughs> uh, well, to put you out of uh, any misery you might have had, it was the episode with that Adam's Family Challenge. Oh, yeah. The Adam's Family Challenge. Yep. The celebrity challenge was Space Pirates. See, that explains why I wouldn't remember that. And the last challenge is one that I completely forgot was in this series, despite the fact that we're now doing this, you know, on a weekly basis, was Agony. Oh, yeah, the early Psygnosis game, wasn't it, with the owl flying? See, now you mention it, now I'm like, yeah, I'm well into that because that game looked gorgeous. It is Nails. I played it under emulation after we talked about it. And, well, it's either Nails or I'm crap at it. (laughs) But for anecdotal reasons, it's Nails. Well, let's get into the episode itself. What is our first challenge, Games Master? Greetings, and welcome to the Games Week. The fog has been causing havoc out here all week. So we are lucky to have any campers on the resort at all. We get underway tonight with a jolly caper on Mickey Mouse. The first young pretender, the game-playing glory, will need to negotiate the second level of the first world in under one and a half minutes. May I recommend that... More fallout. I really must do some repairs. Off you go with the challenge, then. It's the poor man's castle illusion. It's Mystical Quest starring Mickey Mouse. Hey, it's not the poor man's castle illusion, because you know what? He can wear different hats in this one. But he's got a new hat. I was going to say, I am being facetious because this game is rad and it's, it's quicker than Castle Illusion and it looks nicer. And as you say, it's got a new hat. It's got a new hat. And you say it's quicker. That doesn't mean we're looking at Sonic or even Mario oh, no. levels. <laughs> it's, just, it's just quicker by Castle Illusion standards. This game is a sprightly Labrador rather than old Yeller. It's not <laughs> quite at the geriatric dog phase. Yeah, I had a little play of it in the lead up to this episode. And yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. Like, I really, really like this early period we're getting, like this early 90s Disney period we're getting, because like Disney's in their big renaissance. I just feel like the video games are kind of hitting on all cylinders as well. I'm really looking forward to getting into Mickey Mania. Like, I think that's in, I think that we get that in series three, actually. Really looking forward to that. Part of my brain had gone that apart from Castle of Illusion and Fantasia, I didn't really associate this time period with Disney video game mania. My brain mainly pushed it forward to the Kingdom Hearts saga. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because as successful as these were, man, Kingdom Hearts is a different thing. And you need a degree in advanced mathematics to follow the appropriate play order of those games because there's four there's i believe there's like four main games right but then there are also 20 other games that you need to play it is like an action figure where the action figure is sold separately there are so (laughs) many different components so many different hats that you need to purchase (laughs) to get the full experience and i know someone listening to this will reply message at email or whatever going ah well you only need to play one two (laughs) two b three c uh what should let's play of x and and i'm like that's cool but 
if you can't enjoy the story by just going one, two, three, four, I'm not. I'm not into that. I'm too old, Luke. I've only played. The, I played the first one when it came out, and that was really because like it was the fun gimmick of it's Disney meets Final Fantasy VII. Like that was pretty much what they were sell- selling it on. I know there were other Final Fantasy characters there, but they were like, "Hey, look! You remember those characters you like in Final Fantasy VII? Now they're hanging out with Goofy." And so, like, there was kind of like a fun sort of gimmick side about it. I never in my wildest dreams thought that it would become this, like, sprawling fantasy saga with all of these offshoots and everything. To be honest, I don't even think I finished the game. I think I got a bit tired of the gimmick quite quickly. I guess part of it for me is I like Final Fantasy, but I don't love it. Like, it's not one of those franchises when a new game comes out where I'm just like, I must own this. There are Final Fantasy games I like. Seven. Seven Remake, Crystal Chronicles for the GameCube. That's a game that I really dig, and I'm looking forward to the Switch remaster later this year. And Disney. I love the Disney classics, but I was always more a Warner Brothers kind of guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, if you today turned around and said, Warner Brothers are crossing over with Yakuza, (laughs) I'd be all over that. Kiryu facing down with Taz. That would be unlikely but it's different franchises appealing to different people yeah anyway we have diverted completely (laughs) off the challenge which is to get through level two in 90 seconds or less yeah that's a tough old time tough tough time now games master is about to impart some extra knowledge to us but at that point he literally starts to fall apart and i reckon it's the seagulls because you can hear them cackling well, it's good. And it's a foggy day for Games Master as well. And he has had a rough few weeks. He's had a rough old go of it as of late. Now, knowing what we know about how season two ends, is this kind of foreshadowing? I think it might be, to be honest. It's either foreshadowing or or they just had a bit more time and they were having a bit more fun because we've got some segments coming up over the next couple of episodes, one of which may be my favourite moment of season two, and that beats the Dalek. <laughs> Helping Mickey along, and this challenge is a young man from Ross and Y. Please welcome Dominic Bezins. <laughs> now, listen, Dominic. Normally, normally, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of shell suit bottoms, but I have to admit, yours are splendid. How long have you been kicking about in those? Uh, quite a while. Well, listen, I hope you wear them for a long time to come. I think this challenge is very tough indeed. One and a half minutes. How have you been doing in practice? Well, the best time is one. 134. Right, listen, the best of luck, okay? If you'd like to sit yourself down in the games playing chair, we'll get ready to start. While trying to complete this challenge is Dominic from Ross on Y. Great name there, mate. And some lovely shell suit bottoms on him. Yeah, Dominic says he's not normally a fan of them, but he does like these. And I can't tell if he's being sincere or not. (laughs) (laughs) Because as we all know, shell suit bottoms, massive fire risk. Every November bonfire night, there was always the whole, he dropped a sparkler, his trousers caught fire, and they melted to him. They grafted mm-hmm. to him like some sort of biomechanical armour, but with burning. <laughs> I was terrified of my shell suit trousers when I was a kid because I saw one of those adverts, one of those watchdog specials, and I'm not even going to wear them near a radiator. Sticks with you, man. It sticks with you. And sticks to, to you, you as well. Yeah. <laughs> well, this kid has beaten the level before, but his best time is 1 minute 34. So he has got to try and shave four seconds off that time. And that is, that 
really sets this challenge up for me. I was on the edge of my seat for this one. I really, really got on with it. I wasn't so much with it for the very first bit, because if you look at it, one, it is a lolloping game, as we've said. And also because it's a one minute 30 challenge and he gets to the boss with a minute left. Yeah. And at that point, I'm like, well, okay, cool. He's going to win it, but it's not going to be tense. But of course, this is a 16-bit boss. They've got an animation loop they've got to go through. Oh, yeah. And this is also a 12-hit boss. That's a fairly hefty boss for level two. Well, that's what I thought. Because we didn't. I said Jeremy Daltrey's in the commentary box, and he actually is like recommends you know take damage where possible, as it might be the quickest way to get through. Because he's got to beat the boss as well. My note for this really don't have anything until they get to the boss battle, until Dominic gets there, because it's like races through the level, takes a hit getting into the water, and then Jeremy says, "Yeah, it's about twelve hits on this boss." And all of a sudden, I was like, "Hang about twelve? That seems quite a lot." And you're right, you've got to like know the pattern and everything. And it doesn't seem as bad at first because it is just like it's the same pattern. It's just this sort of U-shape, you jump up, you bop him on the head. And then the pattern changes. And I'm like, oh, this is an animation with a lot of frames and a lot of time. And those 50 seconds that he walked into the boss fight with tick down. I mean, the first 30 seconds, he's doing great. That's when the boss is just in its kind of like drunken moth flying around a light source kind of pattern, doesn't really do much other than rotate. And then 20 seconds left, the boss changes things up and suddenly he's hanging upside down and spawning miniature versions of himself with wings just ahead. It goes a bit John Carpenter thing for a bit. Now you have to avoid those because obviously they are both projectiles and enemies and also try and hit the boss. And this point goes more towards maybe he isn't going to make it. Particularly when he takes a hit. When he gets hit, I'm like, oh man, he's going to blow this on the boss with just a few seconds to go. This is another Chuck Rock situation. And he's got seven seconds left when the boss returns to the trees again. Now, we've had a couple of tight challenges. We had Kelly Sumner on Humans, and we had the lad playing Alien 3. They were tight challenges. This one is not only a close photo finish. It's beautiful because all the way through this boss fight, he's just been jumping on the guy's head. But for the last hit, it's almost a fatality. He grabs one of the mini spawn bosses and throws it at him. Boom, level complete. When I watched that for the first time, I was laughing and clapping. Not only did you completed it, you flourished at the end. Like an absolute boss, he does this. It's remarkable because like playing this game, I didn't realize you could do the projectile thing. I was just bopping him on the head like I like he was doing. And so I suddenly thought to myself, there's absolutely no way he can do this. He's not got enough time. So when he grabs that projectile out of the air and throws it at the boss, leapt out of my seat. It was it was wonderful. It's the definition of a Hail Mary. Yeah, right? It got this episode off to such a strong start. Now, we talked a little bit about the game, and it is indeed the Nintendo equivalent of Castle of Illusion and that ilk. It didn't just exist on the SNES, though. It got a remake on the Game Boy Advance, which was also very well received. Yeah, and it spins off into its own like whole series, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And I think different games also highlighted different Disney characters. Uh, certainly the Game Boy Advance version, you could play mm. as Mickey or Minnie, and you could hook it up to the GameCube 
because there was a GameCube game and you could use the link cable. I loved games that did that. I absolutely yes. loved games that did that. I'm going to give a shout out. I've, I've shouted him out before, but Stop Skeletons from Fighting. Uncle Derek on YouTube has got two videos, I think, about the GBA link cable, which are it's brilliant. He's doing some absolutely amazing work. In fact, actually, this latest video that he's just posted is about Donkey Kong Country ports, and I cannot wait to watch it. Oh, I might, I might cue that up after we're done recording tonight. <laughs> now, Dominic, you kept us guessing right to the very end. That must be one of the closest challenges we've had on Games Master. It looked as if it was touch and go at the end there. Yeah, that's my best ever time. All right, well, Dominic, in addition to your splendid shell suit bottoms, you also go home tonight with the Golden Games Master Joystick! Yes, that was a great challenge. Dominic Diamond says that the kid kept them guessing until the end. He said, then the kid's like, you know what? That was my best ever time. And what a time to do it, mate. Honestly, if he tried to do that again, he would either do it more easily or he wouldn't do it at all. There's no middle ground. I don't think you could time it that well. Yeah. This week, we get our knees dirty and our limbs bruised as we look at sports games. First up on the Mega Drive, Muhammad Ali Heavyweight Boxing. Choose the greatest himself or nine other fat blokes in a quest for the World Heavyweight Championship. Boxing is a very difficult sport to simulate, and this game shows it. The graphics quite nice, although the animation is a bit naff. There is very little variety of opponents, and we just tap away, really, boxing away. It's about as much fun to play with as a box of used tissues. The graphics are rubbish, the controls are uncontrollable, and the sound's quite awful. It's just avoid it like the plague. Well, I feel like this comes up a lot in uh, Games Master, but it's sports game this week in the review zone. We've got Alex Simmons from Control, John Davison from Mega Drive Advanced Gaming, and Peter Scott. And up first, it's Muhammad Ali heavyweight boxing for the Mega Drive, which it's funny, like looking at it, I was like, oh, wow, this looks kind of cool because it's kind of seems to got this sort of 3D like, camera that sort of roams around it and stuff. But the way that they talk about it is just like, yeah, the graphics are cool, but the animations are naff. It's just button mashing. The graphics are rubbish and it's uncontrollable. Like John Davison says, you need to avoid it like the plague. It does look good until it starts moving. Yeah. And the fight animation, it reminds me of when we were at school. Do you remember you used to get the strip of paper and you fold it in half and you do one drawing on the inside, then you put the paper over the top and you trace through a slightly yes. different drawing and you run the pencil back and forth to make two-frame animation? That's mm -hmm. what this boxing game was. Yeah. Because Alex says at the start of this that boxing is a really hard sport to simulate and this game shows that. And I do think, because like I've played a lot of boxing games over the years, like whether I've got them, you know, on emulation or I talked about that retro um, gaming box subscription service that was sent. I had a boxing game in that as well. But it does feel like unless it's Punch Out or something like Ready to Rumble, where it has a more sort of arcadey type feel, a lot of them do end up just being button mashing. Like we've seen nothing but button mashing boxing games on this show in both series so far. I think a lot of the issue with boxing games, and it is something that plagues it up until this point, is if you look at the three combat sports that are popular in the world, you've got boxing, you've got MMA, and you've got professional wrestling. Mm -hmm. MMA, tons of blows, holds, styles, stances, attributes, weights, training, point balance, yeah. wrestling... Wrestling. Sort. Yeah, exactly. Boxing, there are a core set of moves or blow types. And while video games may have one boxer who has a stronger right hook than the boxer he's fighting against, he's all about the left hook, and they may have different defense stats, it isn't going to make for a terribly varied character experience. Mm. And so when you have a game 
like Punch-Out, like Super Punch-Out, like Ready to Rumble, or any of the ones that give it a little bit of an arcade feel, that's when it gets a bit more fun and a bit more varied and a bit more enjoyable because you may still just be button mashing, but the colours are prettier. So yeah, 57% for Muhammad Ali's heavyweight boxing. What I will say for it is, like, you know, it does look good until the animations start, but the actual, like, voice clip they've got of Muhammad Ali... at the end like during that glimpse that sounds really good for the mega drive because the mega drive's not known for its speech yeah who's the heavyweight champion of the world he shouts well sadly not you mate (laughs) not by this game no next up jimmy connor's tennis three tournaments three surfaces three skill levels and with the soon to be released adapter four player forehand action beckons the control method is more difficult than super tennis there are more shots and fancy serves to be catered for it really adds nothing to the gameplay though. Initially, it's really hard to get into, but once you've mastered the moves, Jimmy Connors is really an excellent tennis simulation. Looks all right, sounds all right. But if you've already got Super Tennis, forget it. It dumps on it from a great height. Up next, it's Jimmy Connors Tennis for the Super Nintendo, which soon will have four-player and four-hand action uh, through an adapter. It's pretty positive throughout this. They talk about it's got more shots than Super Tennis, but it's not a better game. Alex says that it's uh, an excellent tennis game once you get used to it. Um, But it says, you know, it looks and it sounds all right, but Super Tennis dumps on it from a great height, 80%. And to be honest with you, I've not played it, but it doesn't look as good as Super Tennis. It doesn't look as good. Uh, It doesn't make as much fancy use of Mode 7 as the Super series of games do, like Super Soccer and indeed Super Tennis. It apparently has a more in-depth control system, or at least more variants, and we're almost kind of drawing the parallels with the boxing of it does provide a wider variety of moves. Yeah, it's more of a simulation. Yeah, but that doesn't help the gameplay. I mean, it might mean if you're an absolute tennis freak that oh well you will get you will get a lot more out of this but for most people it's probably not going to make much of a difference i think it looks okay it moves pretty nicely it sounds okay i'm not sure i'd say super tennis dumps on it from a great height (laughs) i would just say that super tennis is better 80 percent is still respectable Oh yeah, absolutely. Next up, front page sports football on the PC. Masses of stats and a play design option make this a somewhat cultured older brother to the likes of John Madden. With all these statistics, it does add depth to the game. So you may be playing it longer than you'd be playing John Madden's, but it's nowhere near as playable as John Madden's. There again, nothing is. If you're into into the games, but into more the, the strategy side and the tactics, this is definitely worth getting hold of. And lastly, it's front page football for the PC, uh, American football, that is. It's the cultured older brother to John Madden. It's got all the stats, um, but it's not as playable as, quote, but Peter says, it's not as playable as, quote, John Madden's. Um, and Alex says it's worth it if you're into tactics and that sort of thing. A very, very respectable 87%, though. This game looks, like, amazing for 1993. And I I think they're right like if you're massively into the stats side of it then you are going to find a lot to love about this game much like some of the uh, early john madden games sorry john madden's games <laughs> this was also at this point not licensed by the nfl later iterations did have the nfl license but the gameplay way more in depth and also launched a very successful series that i'm amazed i hadn't really heard of Mm. and it kind of tied together the on-pitch play that you would get in your john maddens with your football manager 
style of things. Yeah. There was a heavy amount of gameplay dedicated to training, player exchange, tactics, so on and so forth. But yeah, it does look great. And it is really nice to see some impressive looking PC games at this point. I also think that I'm quite glad at times that I'm not massively into football or American football or sort of sports in general, because going by how hooked I got onto Championship Manager 2, 96 97 season when i was a kid like when i was a, a teenager i've heard stories I, I you know friends of mine have told me how hooked they can get onto things like football manager i remember a friend of mine said that he once dressed up in a suit because he had a champions league game like a champions league final and he wanted to take it very seriously so i feel like i could very much fall into one of these sorts of games and that is why i'm glad i'm not a sports fan the game that i've fallen into the most was during the xbox 360 time period i really fell into the nhl games oh yeah but i was also watching a lot of hockey i had the nhl live subscription and i managed to follow most of the new jersey devils for a season and i really really enjoyed it but then time just disappeared and you know what I always get tempted by an NHL game every now and then and I probably will pick one up maybe not until the PS5 Xbox Series X 1X mm. whatever <laughs> generation but I do like a competitive sports game the biggest issue I've got is I prefer to play it against another human being yeah that's where the fun lies so we've got no feature this week, I'm afraid, Ash. So I guess it's time to dive straight into the Celebrity Challenge. But wait, no, what about the Games Master Club? <laughs> Finally tonight, if you want to know more about the show, you can join the Games Master Club. We'll give you the details at the end of the programme. Did you know there's a Games Master Club? <laughs> well, it is time for our Celebrity Challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? I always feel like a nap after two helpings of Aunt and Marisha's octopus crumble. And my next challenge... A drowsy trait through Sleepwalker doesn't help any. The evening's second contestant will need to control a plucky young pup called Ralph, whose mission is to duly protect Lee, his sleepwalking master, from danger. For ultimate success, the zoo level of the game needs to be negotiated without disturbing Lee's slumber. Oh well, time for 40 winks, methinks. What the hell's an octopus crumble? I mean, I don't know, mate, but it sounds like I know that the whole thing is meant to be this is gross food, but that proper sounds nasty. To be honest, I'm not sure if it's food or if it's kind of a, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, will we see here's a bit of a flirt with Auntie Marisha in the next episode. Um, but the other thing that made me think about this and it's something I've not really thought of about before. Do they feed Games Master... Like, you know, because he's got a human mouth. Do they feed him like that? Or is it like Robocop where it's like baby food that is sort of like pumped into him? Because if they're feeding him like, you know, in his mouth and everything, because he hasn't got any hands and it's done by Auntie Marisha, that is one f***ing big crumble. Big fork as well. It would just be garden tools. This, this is stuff they should have fixed at the time. They should have established properly what the scale of Games Master is because we're assuming, you know, he's a chunky boy. Mm. But also, I suppose, an octopus is actually quite big. There are different sizes of octopuses, but that far out, maybe they just take an octopus, stick it in an <laughs> oven dish or, you know, an oil drum and put some... Wait a minute, a crumble's a sweet dish. Why yeah. are they making a sweet dish with an... Luke, this law doesn't make any sense, and I say this as a wrestling and a Doctor Who fan. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what does make sense. It's Sleepwalker, and I've not played this game, but it looks like it's a lot of fun. 
frustrates frustrating fun i do want to add that's the exact word i was just going to throw out there frustrating it is a lot of fun i remember playing it at the time i have played it since it's a good game it's a very amiga game yeah it's a bit like brat yeah it's more it's more platformy version of brat there is a touch of lemmings to it it really reminded me of mindy and buttons for animaniacs but i think this predates animaniacs only just yeah i would say so i think animaniacs is is it late 93 or is it even 94 no it's 93 september 93 was its original run but it's a great concept and it's also for a great cause because it is a comic relief year, Red Nose Day. You always had these two big telethons going into the 90s. ITV used to do telethons, but going into the 90s on BBC One, you had Red Nose Day, which could be in the spring and was every two years. Then in the autumn slash winter, you had Children in Need. Children in Need was telethon for grannies. Yeah. It was presented by lovely old cuddly Terry Wogan and it had Pudsy Bear and it was sweet and sugary and saccharine. And then you had Comic Relief, which was anarchic and rude and often got into trouble and was all (laughs) about wearing red noses, which would have increasing levels of innuendo and extravagance. But 90s Red Nose Day, I was going nowhere on a Friday night. Oh, yeah. I was sitting down for the long haul and I was taping that bad boy because you literally never knew what was going to happen. And like going into Sainsbury's or as it was in my local area, the Saver Centre, and getting the red nose. Like I remember the, the, the year they had the massive plastic one that had the hands on it as well. That was the stonker. That was amazing because you had a comedy song. There was also a comic book, which I've still got. Amazing. And also, in addition to the red noses that you wore on your face, you had the car noses. And you knew if it was a comic relief year because those car noses would go on in February and they would stay on until at least October. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, like on the little front of the grill. Fantastic. 1989 was the smiley face nose that was uh, called Harry. Then you had the stonker, which had Harry, but with arms coming out either side. The one we're approaching just now is Attack of the Comic Tomatoes. Okay, cool. And again, it was the same basic red nose with Harry, the face on the front. But this time you had the little tomato green stalk. I remember that, yes. And then looking into the future, 1995, which we will cover to some degree, you had the colour changing nose. It was heat sensitive. Yeah. And again, I'm going to put out a plea. Anyone out there has the 93, 95 or 97 red nose days on VHS tape, please reach out. But that's all in the future, and we're in the present now. And to play this challenge, we have a comedy legend. On our special comic relief challenge, we are blessed with the presence of a comic legend. Please welcome the High Priest of Light Entertainment, Vic Reeves. Welcome to the show, Victor. A bit, bit shaky steps I am there. terrified. I'm coming down the steps of that height. <laughs> Listen. What a pleasure it is to stand in front of such a marvellous array of dials. <laughs> In one small area. <laughs> well, we like, to, we like to put a boat out for our special guest, Vic. Which is your particular dial, have you got <laughs> I think, uh, well, this is a particular favourite of mine. That's yeah, what do you the think? vacuum. Yes. Yeah. What's your, your favourite at a I first glance? I'm going for the steam flow. <laughs> the steam flow one. All right, now, Vic, if we, on a more serious note, right, what is Games Master doing for Big Red Nose Day? Well, now then, uh, Comic Relief has presented this in uh, conjunction with Ocean Software, I believe, and it's called Sleepwalker, and it's um, 
Well, if everyone buys it, half a million pounds go to UK and African charities. So that's all gotten by each other. One of my all-time favourites uh, in such a turn of a double act and just sort of on his own, it's Vic Reeves. I bloody love Vic and Bob as a comedy duo. I loved shooting stars. My wife and I are currently re-watching old episodes of Celebrity MasterChef because they've been loaded onto Netflix and Vic's on there, Vic's in on one of them. And as soon as he showed up, I just had this massive smile on my face being like, oh, this is going to be so much fun having Vic on there. And it's something that I often forget that it's not his name. Yeah, he's uh, Jim, Jim Moore. It kind of always blows my mind every time I hear it because I look at him, I'm like, it's Vic Reeves. And it's like, no, and then he's on that as Jim. And I've known people who've worked with, uh, with Vic before. And I was like, what? Do people call him Jim or do they call him Vic? And they've said, no, no, everyone calls him Jim. No one, no one calls him Vic. Because I read an interview with him a while back where he was talking about how Vic Reeves was this creation he spent over 20 years trying to escape. Mm, right. Because originally he was just meant to be an overconfident comedian compare and he just became more and more overblown. And yeah, he, he he it's a it's much like actually Al Murray and the pub landlord. There is a character that people now associate so strongly with him that they can't delineate that Al Murray isn't the pub landlord. Thankfully, Bob Mortimer is just Bob Mortimer. There isn't much <laughs> difference between Bob Mortimer, the on-screen presence with Vic, and Bob Mortimer. I'm going to the- go fishing with Paul Whitehouse. Love that show. It's so good. <laughs> Absolutely love that show. But Vic was born Jim Moore. He grew up in Darlington. Before he became a comedian, he had stints as a pig farmer. Why not? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, He moved to London and he performed bands as well as getting into the comedy circuit. Apparently, the name Vic Reeves came from his favourite singers, Vic Damone and Jim Reeves. Hmm. So Vic Reeves. It's kind of like Pink Floyd. Pink Anderson and Floyd Council, same kind of logic. And what became his breakout show, which was Vic Reeves' Big Night Out, started at Goldsmith Tavern as a Thursday night regular comedy show. It was much the same format as was transferred to Channel 4, but he was a solo act to start with. Now, at that point, Bob Mortimer was working as a solicitor Mm. and he went along to the show and loved it. And he started to get more involved and he talked to Vic afterwards and they started writing material for the next week's show. And suddenly it became his escape from the drudgery of his daily life as a solicitor that did things like dealing with cockroach infestations and restaurant health violations. When it came to filming Big Night Out, he took leave from his day job to go and film that and he never went back. That was it. It was Vic and Bob and they were together through Big Night Out. And at the point we meet Vic in this episode, he's between gigs because Big Night Out has finished on Channel 4 and he's jumped across to the enemy. He's with the BBC for Red Nose Day and coming this September, the smell of Reeves and Mortimer. Amazing. Amazing times. I liked Big Night Out, but I loved the smell of Reeves and Mortimer. So great. And I've got the entire run on DVD and I can't watch it without just crying laughing the other thing that i absolutely adored from the celebrity master chef that we're watching which is old you know it's a couple of years old at this point a previous winner of celebrity master chef that you you have to sort of cook for previous winners and one of those previous winners was aid edmondson and there's a moment where jim is cooking and he's presenting it out and he walks into the room and aid edmondson just goes like oh you're right jim how are you mate and there's this lovely moment where i'm like oh it's vic reeves and it's Eddie, and it's lovely. <laughs> so 
Bob and Paul Whitehouse, they're going fishing. Vic and Aid, winemaking, <laughs> yeah. real ale enthusiasm, yeah, car maybe. maintenance. <laughs> I'd definitely love to say it. Vic, Vic and Aid, the uh, Goodwood motor thing. Yes. That, that would work. That would work. That would be fine. Netflix, make it. <laughs> But Vic doesn't look that happy when we see him to start this off. Well, he literally says, he goes, I'm terrified. I'm not sure if that's real or not. I'm actually going to go, that was real, because he really is gingerly making his way down those steps. And I can't remember much of his comedy that involves being at heights. No, he just sort of comes down the steps and then he's just like, I need to do something. I need a skit. What can I see? Dials. Let's just talk a lovely array of dials you have here. And just uh, let's talk about the dials for a little bit. Tell me about the dials. What's your favorite dial? And uh, Dominic Diamond's like, man, we've got a challenge that we need to do. You've got some PR stuff that you need to do. And Vic's like, no, 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 let's continue to talk about the dials. Don rolls with it because there are so many people that come down that don't really give him much to work with. And here is Vic lobbing softballs. And so Dom's like, oh, yes, this is my this is my favorite dial this is the vacuum dial <laughs> and then it's like and then just turns the question around he goes well you know vic at first inspection which which dial takes your fancy <laughs> and then i love it when he's got to get into all the pr bits of stuff and he's just like oh no okay it's uh it's ocean it's uh it's it's sleepwalker uh comic relief and if you buy the game half a million pounds yeah if we all go out <laughs> and buy the game comic relief will get half a million pounds that's back of a fag packet math if I've ever heard it. I was going to say. But the problem is, when they were filming this, they wouldn't have known any of this for certain because if this is filmed in the kind of, I guess, summer, autumn, maybe early winter yeah. of 92, Red Nose Day is still anything up to seven, eight months away. The game must still be in beta. But you know what? It's an effective enough sales bump. And the great thing, particularly at that time about Red Nose Day, is Red Nose Day's presence was enough to sell something. Yeah. We all had tons of plastic noses that showed just that. But one thing I loved is obviously Dom's doing his standard shtick, having now actually dragged the material out of Vic <laughs> that they needed to get in. He does his standard, well, if you want to see how Vic Reeves does in the challenge, join us after the break. And in the background, you can just hear Vic go, terrible! <laughs> <laughs> okay, if you'd like to see how Vic gets on in Sleepwalker, join us after the break. <laughs> Cadbury's Boast. It's slightly rippled with a flat underside. Britain's top newsagent and nugget salesman sings especially for you. Just adore Vic Reeves' new album, I Will Cure You. And it's you, girl, making it spin. You're making me... Now, that's what I call light entertainment. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is the time of night when I like to pop an apricot into my handbag. I know what you mean, Bob. And at that very self-same time of night, I like to pop a delicate glass swan inside a bell. And what time of the night is that, Vic? That is exactly 10.29 mm. on a Wednesday night, only one minute before Vic reads Big Night Out. Welcome back. In conjunction with Big Red Nose Day, Vic Reeves has flown out to the Games Master Rig for a little spot of Sleepwalker. By my side is a commentator of biblical proportions, Stephen Solomon Gamora. Welcome, Stephen. That's very kind of you, Dominic. It's nice to be back. All right. Now, Steve, any tips for Vic on this? Well, it's a game about forward thinking, really. You may have got to lead the character here across one obstacle, but there's always another one just around the corner. Okay, let's hope Vic employs a little bit of forward thinking. What he has to do is uh, guide the young wee boy out of the level. Vic, are you ready? Apparently. The best of luck then. Off you go. Back from the break and Stephen Carsey is in the booth or Stephen Sodoman Gamora, according to Dominic Diamond. This is a running theme we'll see over episodes and it's a joke that was going way over the kid's head. And to be honest, I suspect it was a joke that only actually meant anything between Steve and Dominic. It must be right. Like, I, if people do know, if people listen to this episode and can point us into a direction, because this is new. This is new between Steve and, and Dominic. And it's funny, but he brings it up a lot. Every time Steve goes back into the booth, he's like, here's another biblical reference for Stephen Carsey. Is it because he's got long hair and a beard? Is he pulling the whole Caucasian Jesus reference? Because, you know, I've lent on that comic relief a fair few times myself. <laughs> Anyway, Stephen says that this game is all about forward thinking. And when they ask if Vic is ready, he's like, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Vic is so good in this challenge because, let's be honest, he doesn't quite know what he's doing. But you know what? He's going to give it his best shot. And one of the things I love throughout this challenge is whenever they cut back to Vic, because he has the level of concentration on his face and the level of understanding on his face of someone that's been asked to read Mandarin using only a French-English phrase book. And we talked about Road Rash 2 a couple of weeks ago being a comedy of errors. This is legit a comedy of errors because that snake comes back to haunt Vic Reeves in this challenge again 
and again. And just when you think, ah, he's past that stake now, and there's no way he can fall back on... Nope, he finds a way to fall back onto that stake. My only criticism of this challenge is that it does not end on the snake. This snake is like Sideshow Bob and the rake. Just when you think <laughs> they've run out of rakes... There's another one. Because Vic actually starts pretty strong. He pushes Lee straight past the first challenge and then pushes him into the snake, yep. then does actually hit the snake to knock the snake out, but takes too much time. And so by the time he's pushing Lee past him, the snake is awake again. And all the time your slumberometer is dropping drastically. And to be honest, when he does get Lee past the snake, it's not because the snake's been knocked out. He's just glitched Lee past. He damage boosts himself through it, essentially. <laughs> Amazingly, he gets up in the lift first try, which I'm not quite sure why there's a lift in a jungle, but... Well, it's a zoo. So, you know, I mean, actually, there aren't really lifts in zoo either. I don't know why I made that that defense of the game, to be honest. Me neither. <laughs> it's a shame because, yeah, it's the one bit that Vic does really well. And guess what? He's going to be using that lift a couple more times <laughs> because the next major challenge he faces is a bridge that dissolves in the middle. Unfortunately, what you are meant to do is as the bridge dissolves, you jump and then quickly use yourself to bridge the gap. Vic just falls straight through and so does lee and we're back at the snake again <laughs> <laughs> we set we get past the snake again onto the lift he creates the bridge and then he gets through past the elephant and to the um giraffe up and you're like cool he's so far past the snake now there's absolutely no way he then hits a hedgehog and the kid goes all the way back falls down the hole again and gets hit by the snake. There was another hole he needed to bridge, but he was too busy fooling around with a potentially copyright infringing hedgehog. And yeah, he drops down two levels. And it's brilliant because again, we're interspersed with Vic, concentrating like he's doing algebra or his taxes. It's this look of total concentration of he knows what he's meant to do, but he doesn't know how to do it. <laughs> We've had challenges like this before where we've said, uh, I think it was like we talked about this with Agony, maybe like what you want to see with a game like this, kind of like what we had with Brat. You want to see someone play this game that knows how to play this game and can just boss their way through it. And it's dead impressive. And you usually I would agree with that in this instance. It was so much better that it was Vic Reeves bolting this up again and again and again because it just got funnier. Every time we're back to the snake <laughs> again. <laughs> and again. And eventually <laughs> Lee just wakes up and it cuts to a shot of Vic who's looking like he asked for a glass of water and was just given two hubcaps for a 1967 Mini Cooper. It's like, okay. I'm not sure what happened or why I'm here, but because he gets it wakes up off screen because he can't catch up to him, and he, I think he gets woken up by the hedgehog. Stephen Carsey says, oh, "I think the hedgehog's okay." Oh no! Turns out the hedgehog did wake him up, but it happened off screen. It was very poor. It was very poor indeed, and I can only apologise to the little boy and his toga. And return to my kaplunk and Affix kit. Listen, Vic, what was the problem with his snakes there? I've always feared snakes. Oh, anybody who breathes through the tongue <laughs> like That's that it. anybody like that <laughs> got something wrong with them well listen Vic unfortunately we know it's uh, Red Nose Day is coming up on the 12th of March yes I'm not actually sure if you'll be there to witness it I, sh I should think I probably will be well unfortunately the challenge was a bit dismal 
So what we do in circumstances like these is refer to Games Master to see if he's going to allow you to actually leave the rig. So could you excuse me for a second? And post-match, Dom is like, well, Red Nose Day is the 12th of March, plug. Mm -hmm. And sadly, Dom doesn't think that Vic is going to be there. And Vic is like, well, no, no, I I should be there. I've signed a contract. I'm definitely going to be there. I also love Vic saying, well, that was very poor indeed. And apologises to that boy and his toga. (laughs) Very poor, very, very poor. But... As has happened in the past when we've had dismal challenges, celebrity or otherwise, it's over to old Chrome Dome to get the final decision. Okay, let's go over to Games Master. Oh, I've been looking forward to this one. Down to the pit, you social misfit. (laughs) I'm sorry about that, Mr. Reeves. Games Master has spoken. Well, what a slow and yet predicted verdict. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what my ombudsman's going to hear about this. <laughs> I, I'm <laughs> telling you, it's nothing to do with me, Mr. Steve. I hope you understand that. Uh, you, you are the ombudsman. Neptune's a personal friend of mine. All right. I love Vic calling it a slow but predictable verdict <laughs> and saying that his ombudsman will be. <laughs> Oh, God damn it, we need more Vic Reeves on this show. Just walking away going, Neptune is a close personal friend of mine. <laughs> Loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. My only sadness is we didn't also have Bob. He didn't need to play the challenge, just have him there being Bob. Doing commentary. Doing commentary with Sodom and Gomorrah and Dom. (laughs) So to misquote and bastardise the aforementioned Big Night Out, what have you got in the book, Luke? (laughs) Very good. Uh, well, Vic Reeves appears in Star Riggers 5 next to Kathy Dennis, uh, and it says, Without a doubt, the best fun I've had doing Games Master was Vic Reeves paid a visit in conjunction with Comic Relief. He's the undisputed master of all things funny, and none of us were worthy to be in his presence. However, one thing you may not know about Mr. Reeves is his fear of heights. When he got to the rig, he took one look at the stairs and announced there was no way he would be able to walk down them. Now, because Vic is a comedian, we thought this was some kind of surreal joke at which point we all fell about laughing at the sheer enormity at the man's wit then we realized he was serious and he had a problem what could we do would we break the tradition and have him coming up from the diver's pit if he went down there would he ever return as it was vic he mustered his courage and came slowly but surely down the stairs but was obviously still flustered when he played sleepwalker as he was so hopeless he got taken down to the pit game playing skill one star personal niceness five stars If I was doing it, I'd have played up the misfit angle a bit more. So I'd have had Dominic go, you know, please welcome Vic Reeves, and look up towards the stairs and the spotlights up there. And then I just had Vic walk on from stage right, just literally walk behind Dom and just play it up a bit. Because that way you are breaking with tradition, but it's not the show breaking with tradition. It's this maverick influence of Vic Reeves. Hello, Games Master. Welcome up to the consultation area. And of just how may I be of assistance? I keep dying on catching dynamos. Any way you can help me? Play the game until you've gained enough points to get on the high score table. But instead of entering your name, type in the words Purple Rain and press Return. Now, not only will you be able to skip levels with the plus and minus keys, but you'll also have infinite lives. Great, thanks. Sometimes I astonish even myself. 
our first kid in the consultation zone keeps dying on Captain Dynamo. So here's how you can get some infinite lives. You uh, go through the game enough to get on the high score table and put Purple Rain in your in as your name, and now you can skip levels and you've got infinite lives. Never played the game. Infinite lives? That's a lot of lives, Luke. <laughs> it is a lot of lives, mate. I mean, it's more than five. <laughs> I actually played this game. Oh, really? I played it on the Amstrad CPC 464. It wasn't great. That could be the game. It could be the Amstrad. What I can tell you is the whole goal of the game is to grab diamonds from the spaceship that belongs to the villainous Austin Von Flyswatter. <laughs> that is exactly the sort of name you come up with when you are producing a game that will be in a two ninety nine budget tape and you just don't give a goddamn. <laughs> Austin Von Flyswatter also sounds like an early 90s wrestling gimmick. <laughs> Hello, Games Master. Hello. On Mickey Mouse on the SNES, I keep dying. Can you give me any tips to make it easier? Hmm. I think I can help you. On the fire level, you will come across a large water-filled hole. Instead of ignoring this seemingly bottomless cavern, change into your genie outfit and take a dive into the murky depths. Down there, you should find a chest containing an extremely handy extra heart. Thanks a lot. That's quite all right. While making its second appearance on this show, this kid is stuck on Mickey Mouse's mystical quest and he keeps on dying. So Games Master helps him find an extra heart, which is on the fire level. You go into the water, change into the genie. You can break open a chest and get yourself a little extra heart. Very nice. Yeah, the genie being one of the costumes that we mentioned before. Also, as it's the fire level, there is a firefighter costume that lets you shoot unlimited amounts of water. And I like it. I like it as a gimmick. But it also strikes me that it plays into a game we're going to see next episode. It's a bit kick chameleon. It is a bit. I was going to say, the one thing I wasn't massively fond of about that Mickey Mouse challenge we had at the start is we didn't get to see all the costume changes for Mickey Mouse and sort of like the game's gimmick. Whereas if they'd made it a bit of a later level, we might have got to see a bit more of that. But I don't know. I I suppose I respect the purity of the challenge that we got. Exactly. Hello, Games Master. Your question? On Double Dragon on the Master System, is there a way of getting infinite lives? Amazingly enough, yes, there is. Play through to the fourth level, go into the middle of the screen and do two back kick leaps. Repeat this move until... Push Start 2 appears. You now have infinite lives. Thank you, Games Master. And the final kid is looking for infinite lives on Double Dragon on the Master System. Check out this bullshit. <laughs> go to the fourth level, go to the middle of the screen, do two jumping kicks until Press Start appears on Player 2, and now you'll have infinite lives. Is that right? Did I write that down correctly? You did hear that correctly. And man, that's a weird glitchy glitch glitch that must be deliberate but i don't know that that was ever meant to be found because it is so so obscure but also nice to see a master system title pop up Hmm. so double dragon was originally ported to the nez or the famicom in japan by technos japan uh that was around 1988 it was then published in america sega got permission to do their own version not only for the master system but for the sega system mark three there's one that you don't hear of i was gonna say that catchy name and the master system version was actually graphically more impressive than the nes version and a little bit more solid now i've got a lot of time for the nes version but i will admit this master system version does look a little bit closer to the arcade Mm. but i'm quite fond of the double dragon series double dragon 2 in particular that was always my favorite and the game boy port of that I uh, have not really thought about the Mark III in quite some time. And I was just thinking, like, when was the last time I thought about the Sega Mark III? And I remembered what it was. 
in my second year of university, there was a this Japanese website that was shipping stuff across to the UK. And in that, I ordered like a bunch of stuff. I ordered some Final Fantasy stuff, a NES pad keychain, which I've actually still got on my house keys. And there was a Sega blind box. I think it was a keychain as well. It was a blind box and you got a sort of like, you know, a keychain version of a Sega console. It could have been the Master System, the Mega Drive, the Saturn, or the Dreamcast, the Game Gear, or the Mark III. And I thought to myself when I ordered it, I'll be happy with any of these so long as it's not the Mark III. And that was the one that I got. I remember opening up and being like, ah, oh, balls. I've now got like a Mega Drive keychain. I'll go through the Sega shop, uh, the Europe one. But yeah, opening up that blind box and not getting the one I wanted, disappointed. Disappointed! It's interesting to draw parallels because a lot of the time when the majority of Western audiences think of Sega, they think Master System, Mega Drive, Saturn, Dreamcast. But the Master System was technically the third iteration of the SG-1000. The Master System was the Mark III, albeit the Master System had an FM synthesizer module that was sold separately for the Mark III built into it. It was kind Mm. of like the export, much like the Famicom was exported as the NES. Yeah. The Sega consoles before the Mark III, the SG-1000 series, no one outside of Japan really thinks about it. You had the SG-1000 that was the original, and that was released in Japan, Australia, and New Zealand. You had the 1002, that was 1000, and then Roman numerals Mm -hmm. 2. That was released in Japan and Taiwan. Then you had the SG-1000 Mark III, which was released in 1985 and went on to become the Master System. The SG-1000 was actually released the same day that Nintendo released the Famicom. Wow. It's kind of weird that it never really took off outside of Japan. And I guess Australia is close enough to Japan that it would have been easy for someone to transfer it over there. And indeed, they did. (laughs) Well, it's time for our final challenge. So let's head on over to Games Master before he falls asleep and find out what we're playing. All of us here in the resort are terribly excited about the last offering for the evening. For the very first time, we venture into the world of 3D. Tonight's last contestant, will need to guide a spaceship to a field of asteroids before docking on the mothership. The spaceship can take five hits, but after each hit, it will lose firepower and weapons. Pray, don your glasses and revel in the heightened awareness of this 3D experience. Dominic's a bit concerned about Games Master, isn't he? He is a little bit, isn't he? But thankfully, it appears that the 3D or the talk of 3D's really perked him up. Or is it a case of like that Homer Simpson thing where like he actually his eyes are shut behind those 3D glasses. We just can't see them. I reckon he's sleep talking. (laughs) But yeah, Dominic posits that it may just be him, but it feels like Games Master is getting a bit tetchy. Maybe it's just late in his lunar cycle. (laughs) But also this plays into this idea we posited earlier, that this is building up to the end of the series and that Games Master is breaking down. Yeah. But before we get to that, it's Maelstrom 3D Challenge is our final one. This is when you're going to get your 3D glasses out that we've been teasing for the last couple of weeks. And Ash, I'm going to presume this is where we're going to get our magazine information for the week. Indeed, because the glasses that came free with the magazine or you could get via the Games Master Club, they were something you could use while reading the magazine because there was a feature and a preview of this game in Games Master Magazine, and all the screenshots were in the green red 3D. Now, did you watch this challenge with your well, blue I, red? I, no, I, I tried because I tried it last week and it gave me a massive headache. I didn't attempt to try it this week. 
I did, and it made me nauseous, but the 3D did work better than in the test. So I actually got a little hint of what the 3D was meant to be like. Not as impressive as the 3DS, more impressive than the Virtual Boy. (laughs) So yeah, so this game, 3D Starfighter Ace, it's being produced by Maelstrom, a development studio that was created by Mike Singleton, who pretty much single-handedly created Lords of Midnight and Midwinter. And this game was scheduled to be released in March. And it started as a concept specifically for the Games Master Challenge. That's why this particular game Ah. demo was built. But it proved so successful, or I guess at least intriguing, that it was being developed for a full game. This wasn't Singleton's first involvement with all things 3D. He did a game called 3 Deep Space, and that was for the BBC Micro. Wow. Also used the red-green glasses, but you had to actually have 2020 vision for it to work. <laughs> but there were a handful of 3D games that came on since. None were particularly successful. The big differences that they hoped would make Starfighter Ace the exception was that the graphics were all solid shapes rather than wireframe, and they were drawn in actual perspective, making the game look much more 3D. And yeah, we don't have the right colour glasses, but as I said, I could see it working. Yeah. I, I could feel a sense of depth. And the team were working around the clock to complete the game at the point of going to press. And the results do look spectacular. In fact, the screenshots here look better than what we see in the challenge. There are realistic planets with highly detailed surfaces. There's a whole array of weird and wonderful alien spaceships, fully animated 3D heads of all the alien beings that you'll meet. This has all the markings of a landmark game, both technologically and potentially even upsetting the cart of Star Fox. Yeah, yeah. Which is not that far in the future. And the 3D is not just a gimmick, it's instrumental to the gameplay, because Mike says in this article, to succeed in the game, the player will need to judge distance and depth quickly and accurately so he can dodge or weave or blast at just the right moment. With the glasses on, it's a lot easier to judge distance and depth. And the reason why no one's done this up until now is because, unsurprisingly, programming in 3D is a pain in the ass. <laughs> Literally, that is what the magazine says. <laughs> now, I've got this article, and we see the challenge. This game never came out. Amazing. This game may have been completed, but it never went to the publishers. And it looks like it's all down to money, specifically royalty issues. Maelstrom were producing the game and Mirage, I'm assuming not the Ninja Turtle people, they were publishing the game. And apparently there was a dispute over royalties. And as a result, the entire game was just cancelled. And it was so close to completion. It must have been one to be playable on this episode, but also to be previewed in this magazine Mm -hmm. some months later and look noticeably different. There's no way to know exactly what happened because by the time these things became of interest to people and the rise of retro, which, you know, we're pulling on the coattails of quite happily, Mike Singleton sadly passed away in I think 2012. And at that point, no one had asked him about this, to the best of my knowledge. We have some very knowledgeable people listening. Please do get in touch and put us wrong on this one, because I will happily talk about it at a later point, because oh, I would love to play this game. And it doesn't appear to be out there either. No, 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 no. I, I was doing some YouTube searches for it. And like, because I, I, you know, I, I do that when I get in the music for the podcast and like getting nada. So the trail ends with this challenge we're about to go into. And it makes it somewhat bittersweet. One, because we never got to play this game. And two, because of this challenge. All over Britain, hands are sneaking into trouser pockets, ready to whip out the 3D specs in preparation for the big one. Yes, the first ever 3D challenge on terrestrial television. 
It's so big, I'm not going to offer it to one challenger or two. I'm going to pick three challengers out of our audience here. So if there's anybody that fancies a spot of 3D malarkey, please whip your hands in the air. Let me have a look. And uh, yes, gentlemen in outrageously red tracksuit bottoms there. Yes, you, that's one of them. And uh, let me see if I can pick someone else. You're going to have to go a bit louder than that then. Okay, very old gentleman, far too old to be playing games. Yes, you, someone with a slightly receding blonde hair. And uh, one more person. Um, oh, yes, tragically on hip waistcoat up there top. Yes, you gentlemen. And give him a round of applause for our three volunteers. Okay, thank you very much. Right, let's turn to you first. What's your name and where are you from? My name's Scott and I'm from Leicester. What's your other son named Scott? Dawkins. Scott Dawkins from Leicester. You're not related to me by any chance, are you, Scott? No. No? Oh, well, never mind. All right, now let's go to you. What's your name? Uh, Gary. Gary, where are you from, uh, Gary? I'm from Northampton. From Northampton. Yeah. Are you not a bit old to be mucking about with these video games? I've come with the kids. All right, that's yeah, what he all said. <laughs> all right, now finally, what's your name? Nitesh. Nitesh, where are you from, Nitesh? Leicester. Leicester. Are you quite, quite good at these type of games? Yeah, pretty good. Yeah? No, okay then. Well, Nitesh, since you're so confident, I think you can go last, actually. I'll put you as the favourite. Gary, I'm afraid that since you're older, you might take longer to get in and out of the chair, so we'll let you start off so you've got a bit longer to get ready. And uh, I'm going to put you second. Okay, if we're all ready then, get in the chair, Gary, and off we go. Because before you put your 3D glasses on, we need some challenges for this. And Dominic Diamond picks out a lad in red tracksuit bottoms, an old gentleman with a receding hairline, and someone in a tragically uncool waistcoat who claims to be Scott Dawkins from Leicester, but clearly it's Dominic Diamond from Series 1 of Games Master. Time travel, Dominic Diamond's the doctor, solved it. Yeah, like Dominic even makes reference to it being like, are we related? And sadly, the kid doesn't run with it. He's just like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, our second challenger is Gary from Northampton. He's the older gentleman who says that he's only there because he's with the kids. And Nitesh from Leicester, who says he's good at games. We'll be the judge of that, <laughs> as will everyone else on the games rig. Now, Dom is very much a gentleman. He says Gary can go first because he's the older competitor and it will take him a bit longer to get in and out of the chair. And as someone that's looking down the barrel of 40, I appreciate that because I'm getting a bit slower getting in and out of chairs, Luke. <laughs> Joining me in the missionary position for this challenge is Stephen the Baptist. Welcome, Stephen. Good evening, Dominic. Stephen, you are looking remarkably good in your glasses well, that's tonight. That's extremely kind of you, I must say. <laughs> now, Stephen, it's a fairly simple challenge, yeah. this, yeah? Yeah, that's right. It's a very simple challenge. Unfortunately, the controls are extremely sensitive, so the contestants need to stay on course if they go wandering off, they'll get lost in the depths of 3D space. And Stephen, I wouldn't wish that on anyone. <laughs> well, now the time has come. Would the nation and our audience rise in unison and don your special 3D glasses now? Splendid. Okay, has everyone got the one there? Okay, each of our challengers has to keep their spaceship intact and dock with the mothership before the time runs out. Well, taking missionary position with Dominic Diamond is Stephen the Baptist. I don't even know at this point. Uh, but Steve said he looks good in the glasses. The controls are sensitive, which someone else uh, parrots later on. Uh, but make sure you don't get lost in 3D space. Or 2D space. Or space in general. Yeah. Space. <laughs> space. So Gary is up first and he ducks, dips, dives and dodges his way through this, but takes a few hits, loses both of his layers and gets destroyed. Had about 50 seconds left on the clock. Next up is Scott, who starts off slightly better, seems a bit more familiar with the controls and also does a better job of pointing in the right direction. I aim for the mothership you're meant to be flying towards. Sadly, he takes a couple of hits and soon, much like Dom's uncle Bert, he's only <laughs> shooting from one pod. He's only shooting from one pod now. Same as my uncle Bert. <laughs> 
That's a great line. But despite his monopod status, he's actually getting a lot closer and he's doing a lot better than Gary. And he manages to destroy some asteroids, dodge some others. But unfortunately, he catches one, loses his remaining pod, and now he's got no pods at all. He's he's shooting blanks at this point, Luke. Oh, he's, yeah, he's got nothing to shoot out, mate. And while he is as nimble on his toes as a featherweight boxer, he then takes a roundhouse asteroid to the face. Boom. Challenge over. 20 seconds left on the clock. We're two down and neither of impressed. No, but Nitesh said that he was the best at games and he's the best of these three players for sure because he's made sure that his tubes are clean because the mothership is looking very vacuous and almost womb-like. But Nitesh is, is way better and he's racing it through and he gets so close. He's literally about to dock with the mothership and then gets hit by an asteroid. It was epically close. Very close and Oh, I kind of wish I'd given him another couple of chances and just edited it because given you are showing this groundbreaking demo, this game which, if released, could really be quite a marvel and you're doing 3D on broadcast television, let him have enough goes to win the f***ing game. <laughs> okay, none of you managed to do it, so let's have three quick excuses in rapid succession. Gary? My glass is steamed up. Scott? Too sensitive. Nitesh? It's too many obstacles. Well, I was left remarkably unstirred by all three. In the post-match, they're only given one opportunity to say where it went wrong. Gary claims that the glass is fogged up. Scott says it's too sensitive. Nisesh says there's too many obstacles. Gary's the only one that had fun here. And sadly, Dom was left unstirred. By all three of them. Yeah, I know. Even his mini-me. So I think like for sort of history purposes, I think that's a very interesting challenge. Uh, I, you know, Nisesh came very, very close to beating it, but really it was just kind of a lot of the same for the majority of it granted i mean i don't know if i had the big wow factor because i wasn't actually watching it in 3d i mean i was watching it in kind of 3d because i was using the wrong color glasses but it was still mostly working but i was also fighting off waves of nausea because i was watching 3d with the wrong color glasses well, the dinner gong brings another show to a close we're off for some of auntie marisha's deep fried dogfish don't miss next week's show good night it's deep fried dogfish on the menu tonight, so pick the batter off. <laughs> and that was episode 19 of series two. What did you make of it? Well, let's get the disappointment out of the way first, other than the deep fried dogfish. The 3D challenge, technically impressive. The game had all the potential in the world, just poor challenges. When the three guys first came down, part of me did think, is this some of the dev team? Yeah, I thought about that as well. I was like, is this someone from the crew? Well, either the crew or the team that developed the game. And I kind of wish it had been the team that developed the game because we would have seen better gameplay. If they were the dev team in disguise and this is how they performed, <laughs> then I'm a bit worried. Yeah, technically impressive. The 3D was a really nice touch. I'm very sad we never got to play this game. But the challenge itself was a bit of a damp squib. Thankfully, every other element of this episode was banging. Yeah, absolutely. No feature, but tight little review zone, consultation zone, nice variety of games, great first challenge, hilarious celebrity challenge. And yeah, for the historical point, the third challenge was still good. It just, it didn't leave me feeling overwhelmed. It didn't leave me feeling underwhelmed. I was just whelmed. 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 Yeah. Like a deep yeah. fried dogfish. 
Yeah, no, I'm in complete agreement with you. I think for, as I said, historical purposes, the third challenge was interesting, but this episode is all about those first two. Love the mystical quest one. Uh, although it was like, you know, a bit slow going at the start, the, the fact that it came down so close to the end really, really made it a bit of a rip-roaring success. And Vic Reeves was just so wonderfully entertaining playing Sleepwalker. And he, he didn't complete the challenge, but he played that game to absolute perfection to get the most comedy out of it, whether he knew what he was doing or not. And I suspect he didn't. And I came away thinking that, that was a really, really great episode of the show. I was, yeah, a big fan of this one. Yeah, it was really, really good. Because of the slightly underwhelming nature of the third challenge, I'm not sure I'm going above 90 for I it. Can't, I can't go into the 90s with that third challenge, I'm afraid. Yeah, but I can give it an 89. Oh, I was going to go 86. So yeah, it was kind of in that sort of same ballpark there. But yeah, I, I think it is really bolstered up by Vic Reeves and, and that first challenge absolutely and an interesting set of sports games some of them look good one of them really really doesn't <laughs> and also an infinite lives cheat and as we've established that's more than five <laughs> thank you all so much for listening to under consultation if you haven't already please do consider giving us a little rating and review and subscribe to this podcast and those reviews really do help us get noticed in the podcast feed and help all the algorithm stuff thank you so much to taylor guy for leaving your five-star review and what i really appreciate about taylor's review that he left is it's a five-star review that also has some constructive criticism on there it's really really nice it's like it, I, I won't read out the suggestion we'll just have that as a little mini conversation between you and i but usually i mean coming from a sort of a wrestling background of a wrestling podcast if you've made some sort of mistake on a show that means you get a one star rating and they just want to let you know so thank you very much taylor for that five star review along with the constructive criticism where he says i really enjoy this podcast great knowledge and each episode is gone through in depth and it's a really interesting time capsule podcast if you like games master great stuff and if you want to follow us on the old social media, we are at underconsolepod on Twitter and at under.console on the old Instagram. Ash, why don't you tell us about Discord? It's a thing where you talk to people. It's like IRC, but for the new generation and there's animated GIFs. <laughs> but no, we have a lovely Discord community, a nice little tight-knit group of people. Details are in the show notes or on our social medias. Come on over, join us, bolster the ranks, give us more to talk about. And if you want to hear next week's show one week early and ad-free, head on over to patreon.com forward slash underconsolepod and back us at that £5 level and you'll get next week's episode one week early and ad-free and at the £10 level, which we've got quite a few people on. Very, very lovely stuff you get a fantastic merch pack. So what's in that merch pack, Ash? Stuff. No, <laughs> what's in the merch pack? It's got a mug, it's got stickers, it's got badges, it's got some retro sweeties, as long as I've still got stock, it's got some pogs, and it's got a discount voucher, which will give you five quid off of our first T-shirt, which is in stock and on sale as we speak fan dabby dozy shout out to those 10 pound backers simon nick sean adam adam cliff rich gordon william and misha thank you all so much you guys all rule that's gonna wrap it up for under consultation this week we will see you in seven days time take care good night
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.